one of the things that we try to do here at Island Elevator is for leadership is to try to lower the temperature. We're constantly telling people, lower the temperature, lower the temperature because it's really hard and these people take a lot of pride in what it is that they do. So if you can kind of make fun of yourself, what that does is that it helps to lower the temperature and it also shows the, uh, everybody else that yes, I'm willing to, sh to accept the fact that I am deeply flawed and trying to figure it out all by myself. And, and you know, you, you can trust that I'm gonna be honest with you because I'm trying to be honest with myself. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves, my co-host each week's Kyle Grandel. What's up, Kyle? Hey, what's up, Matt? Glad to be here. Got a question for you. Oh, shit. Go ahead. I put you on the spot here. Give me a success story from the week, Matt. Let's get some good vibes going here, given what just happened. Success story. So, you mean what just happened? Yeah. I completely boofed the recording, and we had to jump out of the room <laughs> and jump back in again. Um, <laughs> so, a success story of the week. Um uh, our project side, we got two buildings going on. One is in the punch list. We're almost wrapped up the punch list. And the other building, we had still show up last week, so we got still going up. So um, oh. wrapping up one project, and the other one's coming to life. So hell yeah, yeah. So give me your success. Nice. Uh, my big one from the week, and it's a it's a minor thing, but um, we got our trailer going this week, and it, it's been a struggle because it took us three different times to get the delivery arranged. And so, but now we got it all set up. We gave our first safety orientation this morning. And so we are rocking and rolling now full speed. So that's awesome, man. Little win. Little wins. So sometimes takes, you got to stack the little yep. wins to get to the big stuff. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for asking, guys. No, I don't have a success story for this week. But uh, if Great I job. did, it would probably revolve around this podcast. You guys are, they guys are awesome. Who let this? Everybody you guys are the worst Chris. hosts. You guys are the worst <laughs> hosts ever. Who invites somebody on their show and then ignores them? We are, we are the best worst hosts ever. Don't you forget it. I tried to shake you whenever I closed out of the last room. I tried, I hope you wouldn't get the new link and come back, but here we are. Maybe you want to pick up the phone and start texting your wife or something, you know? Don't, hold on a second, guys. Hold on. <laughs> So this week's guest is he's a he's a Yankee, and I think y'all got that from the introduction. Um, and he's an elevator guy. You probably got that from the introduction as well, attitude. But this week's guest is Chris Gutkeys. He's the uh, president of Island Elevator up on Long Island. Uh, welcome, Chris. You don't have any successes this week. This week, I'd have to think about it hard. The only thing I'm stuck on right now is you mispronouncing my last name. It's Gutkes. Gutkes for everybody else. And. Uh, I, I, we're killing it right now. I love it. I love the vibe that's happening. I've right said here. your name wrong at least one million times. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm President of Island Elevator. Uh, we are a uh, full-scale commercial elevator company. We also service res uh, private residentials, uh, uh, and we service the Long Island community exclusively. Many elevator companies in New York, especially in our area, will go into the city, the five boroughs, which makes sense. It's the biggest density of uh, elevators in the world. Um, but we were founded on the principle that we wanted to work where we live. And uh, and we really like what we got going on out here. So. So I got to I got to know you through Jesse Hernandez through his he made his crash test dummies in his before he called it emotional bungee jumping thing he's got going on now. Me and you were crash test dummies from him with him. We did that for um, two or three, four times, something like that. And I think the last yes. time we did it was because you broke the game and yelled at me. Remember, do you remember that? <laughs> well, that really kind of rolls back to my um, uh, occasional lack of self-control. Um, 
the problem is, is that uh, I was the first born in my family. So uh, for the first, I would say five, six years of my life, even though my brother was born a couple years after me, uh, the whole world revolved around me. So everything that came out of my mouth was super important and people were very interested in what I had to say. And unfortunately I haven't outgrown that. So when I get like a thought inside my head, I just have to like, I got, I got to tell you about it because it's going to change our life. You know what I mean? So uh, we were supposed to be quiet and we were supposed to listen to each other. And we were supposed to only ask like uh person, uh, um, like, uh, uh, questions that were supposed to inspire questions. answers and make you think. No, yes or no. And, uh, and then, and then I've got, and then I got Jesse counting down how many minutes are left in our session. And I'm like, Ugh. and then I just like started yelling at Matt. I was like, no, we can't get off like this. We, you know, we're asking too many, uh, roundabout questions. No, so, it was good. Uh, I apologize if I, uh, if I blew that up, Jesse, but, uh, I blame you for that. Thank you. No, it was it was good. It was actually probably the thing I needed at that moment because I was you have to bring a problem and the group helps you work through your problem by asking these inspiring and thoughtful questions, right? And I you basically told me to pull my head out and just move. And I was like and in less kind words I'd say probably, but um, no, it's, I think it's exactly what I needed at that moment. So I've always gut kiss, I've always appreciated you, man. Yeah, that was uh, your your thing was that you were you were over planning, right? You you needed to make sure that every plan was absolutely one hundred percent perfect. And uh, once you kind of like got that out of your way, you built all of this stuff after that conversation. So um, it's really uh, it's really kind of cool to see you get out of your own way and and uh, and build out this construction yeti idea that you've had for a couple of years now. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. It's a uh you and Jesse both have kind of been an inspiration to me. So it, it, I really credit a lot of back to those conversations. we had. Oh, so, yeah. you got to get a mentor or something. I, I, there's no reason why I should be an inspiration to anybody. I, I don't know, man. Um, with that <laughs> being said, since we've, we, we've completely blown up the entire script, which we don't have one. Yes. We usually do Kyle's meme game at the end. Um, okay. Kyle describes a meme because everyone listens to this and doesn't watch the video. And so he describes a meme for people that are listening instead of watching. And so I want to, instead of doing it at the end, I want to do it the first here this time. And I've actually got one ready to go. I don't have to fumble around this time. Every other time. No, and what am I doing? I got to guess what it is? No, no, you, no, no. I'm going to show the screen. Uh, and Kyle's just going to describe it for everybody who's listening to the podcast. I, and yeah, I describe it and then all the listeners leave, basically, is what happens. Essentially. <laughs> so we're trying to, we're 10 minutes in, I think. So we're going to wrap this up early. Yeah. especially with the meme I have picked for this week. This is just, it's going to be a, a six and a half minutes in. It's going to be a game over quick. Right. So what, what a dumpster fire. What a train wreck. That's how we roll. I mean, th there's no better way to do it. This is construction, baby. If we lose uh, here, our here, let me show you some scenic photos from my vacation in Montana. So if we lose our sponsors because of this episode, I'm you're going to be talking to my attorney. <laughs> As sponsored by Island Elevator. <laughs> that being said, here's the meme. All right. Oh. Here we go. All right. This appears to be a Facebook post from our guest, Chris. LinkedIn. And Matt, this is a little bit hard to read. But um Which part can you not read? All of it? Well, the post itself. There we go. There we go. So I should read the post first, right? And then we'll talk about the... Uh, maybe. All right. Okay, well, Matt, well, Chris said, I hope when it's my time, I look as happy as this guy. 
Sunday is food shopping day, and I was hit with a little marketing inspiration. Game changer? I guess it depends on how you look at it. And then we have what appears to be a bag of depends. <laughs> yeah, it says, you can depend on Island Elevator. And this is a large maximum sized bag as well. Always. I, and, I eat a big lunch. <laughs> and the the um, looks like Chris is sporting it himself on the cover of this. So bravo. You got to lead from the front, my friend. <laughs> I think this was your first and only uh, modeling attempt, hopefully. Uh, the other ones are privately in, um, in, in password locked folders inside my phone. So uh, no, I won't be sharing those today. That's for the. But I would like to listen to Kyle describe some of them. <laughs> hey, uh, that kind of looks like an elbow, but uh, it's not an elbow. <laughs> Man, is it small? <laughs> oh, geez. Well, we just lost half the audience, guys. But that, that, there was only half the audience anyway, so we we lost the other half. Now at least we can talk. <laughs> All right. All right, so what do you got? What's next, Matt? So what's next is I want to talk about that. So one thing I've loved and really I kind of made me start following you is sort of your quote, meme marketing. Um, you've been awesome about it on LinkedIn. Kind of what got you started in, with your meme marketing and is it is it working for you? Uh, so we'll start with, let, let, me, let me not bury the headline. The answer is no, it is not working for me. I have obtained zero customers. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit except for the people that actually care. And, and, and I love the, you know, it's almost like sitting in a room full of uh, friends watching a baseball game and you're all breaking each other's chops. That's basically what um, uh, LinkedIn has kind of, you know, manifested itself into. I, I, I'm trying to be more professional with my messaging, but um, I'm only experiencing marginal success at appearing to be an adult. So as far as how I got started, um, I didn't know uh, when I came up through the business, see, I was born into the business. I'm fourth generation elevator um, technician and my great grandfather, grandfather, father. And I came through on the technical side. So I put my hands on everything. And then my father hired me in uh, 2005. At the time, it, he had just broken up with his partner. It was me and him in a, uh, in a windowless office in Wyandanche, New York. And um, we built the company up from there. So uh, I, again, I was out in the field. He was selling the stuff. He was managing the company. 2016, he's not feeling well. Gives me a call, asked me to bring him to the hospital. He died like three hours later. So mm. he was out. And then all of a sudden, somebody's got to take over the company. So now I step in in 2016 and I got no freaking idea what I'm doing. So I went ahead and the first thing was just try to figure out where the money was come from, where it was going, how to like stay alive. It, there was a lot of scramble for survival. But after we got through that, I was able to go back and realize how uh, thoroughly incompetent I was at the skill sets required in order to run a company. Because we're not just talking about trying to keep the lights on or deliver a service for a customer that they appreciate. It's also about um, making sure that your team building, that you have you're able to properly define the culture, that you're able to set a strategic vision and go after that. None of these things, I had no idea. So I went to this program, turns out it was free. It was called Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses. And uh, it was one day a week for a full day in Queens. And that was for about five or six months. 
And uh, after I got out of that, I started to understand like the different areas that are required to be proficient at in order to be able to run a business, big or small. And one of those was sales and marketing. So after I got through my financial literacy training, you know, the stuff that I really needed in order to be able to understand how to keep the lights on, that's when I came all the way around to like sales and marketing. And I said, okay, I got to do some sort of marketing. So I started listening to um, some other people on social media. I'm listening to um, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and I'm listening to Chris Doe and, um, uh, and others, you know, other thought leaders, Seth Godin on marketing. And a lot of it is driven towards, okay, you got a message appropriately. Who are you talking to? What problems are you solving? And then you got to pick some sort of platform and do it. So up until that point, probably I started posting maybe like two, two and a half years ago or something like that. Up until that point, I never had a social media account. I thought, you know, I looked down on it. I was better than that. You know, I mean, a guy that's this cool, you know, his friends know if he had friends. <laughs> so I went ahead and uh, I just started posting some stuff out there. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and then I started following uh, this other guy who's big into the elevators is Ed Rivera. And Ed Rivera is like um, the, the way that some of the guys uh, refer to him is like Jake from State Farm for the elevator industry. So he's just there and he's, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, this is how you do this and blah, 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 that. And we got you. And he's got a very nice uh, Buddha uh, energy to him. So, uh, I started following him. Then we, uh, DM'd each other and he started to explain a couple of things. So then I was like, all right, listen, I got a problem with some of, uh, some of my, uh, competitors in the industry and how they treat the, uh, the customers. So I started calling them out. Right. And, uh, and I did it through memes. I'd never made a meme before. So, but it, it started to come more naturally to me it came a little bit too fast, too quickly because I was putting my competitors' names in there and these are multinational elevator companies. So they got one, uh, one of my memes very early on ended up in this company that's uh, owned in Germany. And the only reason why I know that somebody in Germany saw it is that when they sent me the cease and desist letter from the attorney uh, to the, you know basically keep our name out of your mouth and, and then they were asking for like a bunch of other cruise uh, crazy stuff. They sent a screenshot of my meme on somebody's phone and all of the writing was in German. I was like, all right, so I guess somebody's looking at what it is that I'm doing. So at that point, I started to hone a little bit and, and start to like figure out what it is that uh, I felt would be representative of who I am and most comfortable to do because the more comfortable that I got doing it, the more likely it is that I would continue to do it. So, um, and I, I had dreams of grandeur. You know, I was definitely going to connect with uh, property managers and uh, other uh, people in the industry and, and all of these things. And everybody was going to realize what a great guy I was. And uh, none of that shit really happened. What did happen was that I did connect to people inside uh, my industry. And that, although that doesn't actually equate into customers, uh, it's equated into something that's just as, if not more valuable. Uh, and they, we share insight. We actually put together a, uh, elevator professionals round table. So we kind of share best practices with, uh, elevator companies that are non-competing markets. So there's a guy from Louisiana bounds elevator. There's a guy, uh, lane who's from Canada and, and we all sit down once a month and we chit chat with each other and, and say, okay, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? And that all came through LinkedIn. So. Um, it wasn't what, what I have is not what I intended to have, but I've gotten, um, surprisingly good, uh, energy 
from um, being a part of like the LinkedIn community. I mean, I got to meet you. I got to meet Jesse. Yeah. That was kind of cool. So um, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. It didn't get you any business, but I've seen a lot of people marketing and it kind of does do that. Right? It's like business development. It's also like recruiting. Has it, with all the people you met within the industry, has it helped your recruiting at all for your company? Uh, yes. So I would say that we've also had, because again, we're, um, my messaging is being received mostly by people inside the elevator industry. Apparently I bored Kyle to death. That's why he had to get the hell out of here. He was like, no way. I'll see you next week. But, uh, how much does he, that talk about uh, memes? Um, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, it's like enough with Gukas <laughs> or Gukas or whatever his name is. <laughs> so, uh, Yes, we definitely, because I'm uh, industry, I get a lot of um, uh, people within the industry that really enjoy what it is that we're doing over here at Island Elevator and our, our, our positive representation of our relationships with our, uh, with our customers and with our people. And, um, and they're interested in coming over and kind of helping us manifest this vision. So, you know, are you looking for somebody who's a repair supervisor? Are you looking for somebody who's a service technician? Are you looking for this? Are you looking for that? So we've, we've been able to um, make connections and bring people into the family through LinkedIn specifically. That's awesome. Wow. Hey, Chris, I got to ask you a question here because everybody's built a little bit differently. And Oh, Kyle, you're back. <laughs> What's up, bro? Yeah, I had, had to run really quick. Hope you don't mind. We'll talk, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that in a minute. I almost lost the awning on my trailer. Um, so, um, no, I wanted to ask, everybody's built a little differently, and everybody has different things that come naturally and that they're good at and that they like and like doing and, and hate doing. What is the worst thing about running a business to you? What, which part do you just absolutely despise doing? Uh, I, I just really... Me personally, I love creative stuff. So that's uh, creative problem solving is what attracted me to the technical end of it. Creative problem solving, working with people, uh, anything like, so what I'm finding is that a lot of my creativity is able to find a home in sales and marketing, right? How do we message to this person? How do I create this in order for people to get, uh, to bring attention to Island Elevator? The stuff that I hate is administrative stuff. So the, uh, I, I hate uh, anything that has to do with uh, accounting. Right. Where you got to take this number and then you got to put it over there and then everything. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't appeal to the way that my brain processes the environment that I live in. So but I've I've met tons of people that just thrive and love uh, the ability to bring you know, that balance sheet down to exact numbers and there's, you know, zero discrepancies and all of that stuff. And they, and it's all about what kind of enriches you. And unfortunately that kind of data driven, very disciplined, very focused, um, uh, portion of the business is not something that I really love. It's more of like the creative wild out of the box. Let's go crazier. Let's think crazier. Let's go further outside of the box. So that's the stuff that I really enjoy. Makes a lot of sense. What's your worst part of you running your business, Kyle? I think he, I think, he, well, that is, is really good, except for honestly, too, though, hiring. Hiring's tough, man. And it you got you to gotta take it seriously because as I have found out, it can, it can, F, it can, it can fuck you up really bad. So, <laughs> I, so what I've done with hiring and I've, 
you want to talk about fucking shit up. I have I have made so many bad hires. It's you, you it's just burning money, right? Burning money, yeah. burning time. And you don't really fully appreciate it until it's already blown up. Yeah. But one of the things that helped me, and I don't know if it'll help you, is that in sales, they tell you one of the first things that you have to do when you're running a business is to define who your ideal customer is, right? Who is your ideal customer? What's their personality? How much do they make? Where do they live? What do they like? What do they do? Yada, yada. The, I found that once you start doing that for your ideal uh, teammate, it makes the hiring and interviewing process a lot easier because now I know exactly what questions I need to ask you to find out whether or not you have the personality traits that are not only necessary for the job, but also necessary for the culture. Because if somebody comes in and blows up the culture, it's the worst thing in the world. I don't care how talented they are. Yeah. Kyle, have you tried putting your face on a Depends package? I'm going to. <laughs> Apparently it you works. It's all about, uh, you know, and, and that's like a, a little bit of like a leadership style is, um, and, and you guys both have it. It's a self-deprecation, yep. right? And when you're able to do that, especially in front of uh, people that kind of look at you and associate you to your position, right? That's, that's one of the things that I forget all the time is that when I'm sitting there as president of Island Elevator, I'm not Chris Guckis, I'm president of Island Elevator. And with that comes a lot of influence and, and pressure on the person who's receiving the words that are coming out of my mouth. So I've, I've had to you know, recognize that through a lot of self-awareness so that I can kind of approach people in, in the correct possible way. But when you're able to, um, uh, make fun of yourself a little bit. Not only does it lower the tension because we're in a high tension um, uh, industry, you know, granted, we're not in the emergency room, but we're also not in, you know, um, uh, the, the blood bank, uh, you know, filling up uh, bags of blood. You know, it's it, we're, we're in the middle where we've got to make sure that we are focused. And one of the things that we try to do here at Island Elevator is for leadership is to try to lower the temperature. We're constantly telling people, lower the temperature, lower the temperature, because it's really hard. And these people take a lot of pride in what it is that they do. So if you can kind of make fun of yourself, what that does is that it helps to lower the temperature. And it also shows the, uh, everybody else that, yes, I'm willing to to accept the fact that I am deeply flawed and trying to figure it out all by myself. And, and you know, you, you can trust that I'm going to be honest with you because I'm trying to be honest with myself. Well, I, I, I got to steal that, that saying from you now, Chris, because that's just freaking perfect. I mean, because in our roles, there's just stuff that it, it eats at you and it builds and it builds and builds until finally you find yourself blowing up for like no reason over the stupidest little thing because you finally just got pushed over the edge. For I sure. Like and, and it's uh, I equate it to like professional athletes, right? <clears throat> the best professional athletes, when they're out there doing their thing, it doesn't matter if 40,000 people or 100,000 people are screaming at them and, and saying the, the most ridiculous thing. They're able to kind of block it out, find a level of peace. You know, the whole sports psychology um, industry is based on the principle that if we can increase their productivity and, and their, their level of happiness and what it is that they do just by helping them to calm the fuck down. So if you can bring down that temperature, now all of a sudden you get out of tunnel vision and you can see things a lot more clearly. It helps us out because our primary job is problem solvers, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a broken elevator, you have a building that needs an elevator, you have an elevator that needs to be modernized. All of these things are, they're, they're not cookie cutter, gingerbread house, follow the instructions, uh, things that you can, you know, that just anybody can pick up a hammer and do. So there's going to be a lot of 
uh, things that are going to get in your way, going to try to treat, uh, trip you up and, and just ruin your day. So you can either let that frustrate you or you can stay focused on what the goal is and understand that part of your job is to feel these issues, come up with a solution and then drive through. Yeah. I mean, it's happened to me. So. And it's easier to do that if you're not stressed out. Yeah. Like when I'm stressed out, my, my, my whole, I, I can't even see things onto my periphery. Yeah. No, you get that tunnel vision. I've done, I mean, I'm obviously not working on elevators, but you know, you'd be in a big meeting, right? Like in front of the the board, right? You're doing some big presentation to your client, and you're sitting there, and like it was super stressful and stuff. You get the tunnel vision, and then you, you kind of forget about what you're trying to say, you're trying to do your presentation. But if you can kind of show up loose and relaxed, and maybe making a joke or two just to kind of loosen up, you can kind of kind of it's more fluid too because you're thinking on your feet. You know, you're asking, they're asking questions, and you're not panicking. You can answer them quickly, and your your brain just works better. So. Um, I go into every situation assuming that something is going to go wrong that I can't plan for. So if I know that that's going to happen at some point when it actually does manifest itself, it doesn't ruin my entire day. I'm just, you know, okay, well, I knew this was going to happen somewhere. Let's deal with this problem and then we can get back to the bigger issues. And, and kind of Matt, to your point, I think some of the best presentations and speaking engagements that I've done have been when something has gone wrong, right, right at the very beginning, something, and yep. it just it, it threw me off the game, and it's like, well, I look like an idiot now. I might as well just roll with it and be myself. So, yeah, it's that authenticity. It's just yeah. like, you know, you try to videotape a podcast, and then you stop after six seconds, and then you got to reinvite <laughs> everybody, and then Kyle leaves the middle of the podcast, and you know, it's just the the chaos is what makes it more relatable. Yeah. Yeah. People don't listen to this for the insights. They listen to this just to see the train wreck. <laughs> yes, exactly. We've like, had some good ones. It's like verbal. It's like verbal UFC. <laughs> Not yet, but it's getting there. Depends who the guest is. If I and that's the title. It could be. It could be verbal. I just walked in on my parents having sex. So <laughs> as long as it's not that uncomfortable, then I think that we can get through basically anything. I might have to edit this episode. Right, Kyle. Right, Kyle. Remember that pre-interview where you told me that story? <laughs> there goes the entire CM Mentors uh, empire we're building. I have no idea what this man's talking about. I don't know where he came from. Uh, what you got next on your uh, list, Matt? I don't know. My list is gone. Um, your list is gone? No. So, man, you're really good at getting people off your game. Um, so the, really the reason I wanted to bring you on before we got into the meme stuff first uh, was everybody hates elevator guys. Elevator guys hate everybody, the world, including right. other elevator guys because you're getting cease and desist from Germany. Um, yes. Why can't we all get along? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> well, elevator guys, um, Elevator trades people, right? Because there's men and women in the trade say, now at this I point. I say guys is a non-gender specific term, but yes. Right. I try to do that. You know, you know what the problem is, is that I was raised a certain way and I was uh, and I was in a cohort where it was primarily men. And uh, so I've got a, a really um, I got I got vernacular that I got to retrain myself on because uh, obviously there was like the whole me too experience and women are now putting their feet down and they're saying, Hey, listen, mm -hmm. we're, we're a critical part of the construction industry. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I've been like a little bit insensitive about this. I need to like get my shit straight so that I can be uh, a respectable member of the construction industry. So, uh, definitely trades people <laughs> and, um, it doesn't matter, uh, when we get on the site, 
right? And the reason why you've got uh, elevator, so the elevator trade itself was invented <clears throat> to make a singular trade independently responsible for the installation of the elevator because there's different trade touches or different trade skill sets that are involved in order to build it. So there's a little bit of the iron workers are there. There's a little bit of uh, ornamental iron workers. There's a little bit of carpenters, plumbers, um, uh, electricians. So there's almost like six different trades. And then in the turn of the century, they were turning around while they were divvying up the, uh, the responsibilities and everybody wanted a piece of the elevator shift. They're like, no, 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 This is the one thing that runs all the way through the building. And although it includes everybody else, we have to give it to one trade and make one trade responsible. And you're talking specifically so now, unions, especially too, when they're really divvying up work responsibilities. Well, I mean, that's where the origination of this kind of division of responsibility started was when uh, the unions were able to um, say, all right, this work is mine, that work is yours. Mm -hmm. Everybody do their stuff to the best of their ability, and um, and then we won't have any problems. And obviously, everybody's got problems because we're people. But more importantly is that now the elevators, it's kind of like ingrained. It's in our DNA. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got uh, a little bit of your trade, a little bit of your trade, a little bit of your trade. We're like, you know, we wear uh, the hat, right? We're, we're, we're basically uh, one step below uh, God. You know, we can do everything on this job site, right? That's That's been kind of uh, uh, the culture that's kind of ingrained to you as you're going for. And then as you're, so obviously the rest of the trades can't stand the elevator technicians for that type of attitude. Then we come in to the building and the biggest problem with the elevator trade is that we can only do our work in the elevator shaft, that's it. There's nowhere else in the building that we can work. So if you're a plumber and you have a problem uh, and you can't work on the uh, on the east side of the building. You can reorient and you know work out a sequence on the on the west side of the building. Because guess what? You got stuff over there. Matt's been breaking my chops. I got to make sure that I get those bathrooms done on the west side, right? So <clears throat> the elevator trade can only work in the elevator shaft. So if anybody gets in or near the elevator shaft, it creates a safety issue, because it's one thing if a uh, a five a nut falls down a three-story elevator shaft, it's another thing when it falls down a 23-story elevator shaft because it's hitting at such a high level of momentum. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it can definitely kill you, cripple you, and your career. So they get, uh, we get very protective over our space, very territorial over our space in the job site because number one, our lives depend on it. And number two, that's our, that we're protecting our workspace because that's the only place that we can work. So that can cause, again, territorial disputes between you and some of the other trades. And then all of the territorial disputes get kicked up to management, the GC, the, uh, you know, the CM, the supervisor, the, the guy who's working at the lunch truck. Everybody wants to bellyache about uh, uh, the elevator uh, personnel. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, too bad, right? If you were any better, you'd be in the elevator trade yourself. Boom. I just said that. I just said that. Well, there went the last of the listeners. <laughs> it was two electricians. <laughs> Kyle was one of the two. Oh, Got to go. <laughs> well, I was going to lead into the next question I was going to ask was, what can we do to get along? But maybe there's not an answer to that. Nothing. 
I think that the answer to that is to realize and respect the fact that we can't go anywhere else and that if any of your material comes down the elevator shaft, that's going to be a big, huge problem. So if you can just give the elevator trade six feet outside of their entrances and try to work with us, then I don't think that there's going to be really a problem because let's be honest, the elevator trade gets a lot of their kickback because an electrician comes over and they want to do something and we're pushing them away or they want to do this and we're telling them no. We're not going over to the electrician and asking to do some of their work. We're not going over to the electrician and telling them, oh, get out of our way. We want to you know, store our stuff here and, and we're going to push all of this stuff into your switch gear and, you know, oh, why are you guys being such prima donnas? So the, it, it does come off like we're a little bit of uh, junkyard dogs, but uh, we got to do what we got to do in order to make sure that we make it home to our families at the end of the day. Makes sense. And make a little bit of money at the end of the day, too. Well, I say a little bit. You guys make a bunch of money, so I guess that's not a problem. Everybody should be making money, um, but you're... Uh, you know, let's be honest, there's enough money out there for everybody to make. As long as you show up every day trying to do your job to the best of your ability and every day that you're trying to be better today than you were yesterday, but not as good as I am going to be tomorrow, then there's always going to be money in the skilled trades. And it doesn't matter if the work dries up in New York. It's going to kick off in Philly. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a big deal in Florida. Like right now, a big thing is that a lot of the uh, elevator, the big elevator companies up in New York are moving down to Florida and opening up satellite shops because Florida is about, about to pass a elevator regulation called DLM, which is door lock monitoring. And that is like licensed to print money for an elevator company. So they're going to, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as you're good at what you do, you'll find the customer, the market, the place that needs those types of skill sets. You say something? No. I Kyle did. You're going to say something, Matt. Come on, give me something, Kyle. Well, what do you think about that? Well, here's here's what I was thinking, actually, um, because I have not done a lot of elevator work. And, I, and at this point, honestly, even zero. So what I, my question to you is, help me understand a little bit, probably for the listeners too, about, um, more about the elevator trade. And what I'm kind of curious about is, you know, compared to other trades, what does the schooling look like? What do the certifications look like? How does somebody know they're getting a good one? It really depends on two things. Number one, are you a merit shop or are you a union shop? Mm -hmm. And then number two, what state are you working in? So number one, if you're a merit shop or a union shop, the union shops, specifically the biggest national uh, nationwide one is the um, IUEC, which is the International uh, Union of Elevator Constructors. So they'll go coast to coast. They got uh, everything um, in, the, uh, in the 50 states, plus they also have some locals up in uh, Canada. So they have a unified four-year program. It's like four, four and a half in a mechanics exam that comes at the end. That's called the NEEP program. It's the National Elevator Industry Education Program. So everybody that comes in, signs up with the IUEC, has to go through that program if you ever want to be a mechanic at the end of the day. In addition to that, they've got some hands-on uh, testing and training, you know, um, you know, similar to like science class or shop class, you know, where you actually have to prove that uh, you, you get the theory in the uh, in the book learning, but then and then in addition to the on the job training, you register your hours and then you can prove some certain things in front of them. 
Okay. When you go to the merit shops, the merit shops are there's other unions that have elevator divisions. So there's an IBEW in New York that has an EE division, even though it's all electricians, they have an EE. Division. I mean, the IBEW is it's freaking nuts. I mean, they organized everybody. So they it's no surprise that they have an elevator division. In addition to that, I think that the Teamsters have an elevator division uh, and who knows what's going on West Coast. I don't know what I don't know about the entire country. So that being said. That's the uh, the union elevator side of things. On the merit shop or the open shop side of things, uh, a lot of that is either uh, required or mandated by at the state level, the state DOL, or it's left up to the independent uh, elevator contractors. So in some states, like New York State, they just recently passed a law where it doesn't matter if you're a merit shop or if you're a union shop, you've got to go through a four-year book and learning education program uh, and then take a test at the end of it. For the merit shops, it's called the CET uh, program, the Certified Elevator Technician Program. For the union shops, they have their own thing. So, but once you get outside of New York, so there's New York, New Jersey, they have their licensing uh, uh, responsibilities. But once you get outside some places down south, you don't have to have any education at all. So you could be an electrician yesterday and an elevator uh, technician today. Uh, down in like uh, some of the, when you go down south, some of them just require like an electrical license. Like in North Carolina, you just need an electrical license. There's nothing elevator reli uh, related for you to uh, obtain as far as licensure in order to be able to put your hands on elevator equipment. So, <clears throat> and there's other areas all the way through the, uh, through the U.S. that kind of fall in that same line. So uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's that's great. I, I didn't know much about the differences and certainly the organizations either. So that's that's great. And then as far as the elevators in New York State, that's where I'm, I'm most proficient. Uh, after you get your licensure, after that, you've got to maintain uh, CEU credits in order to maintain your licensing. So I think that if you guys are uh, project managers, you have CEUs, there's uh, teachers that have the CEUs. Uh, I'm also a certified elevator inspector which is a different certification. There's CEUs that are associated with that. And um, it's really, I, I like to see heavy regulation. I like to see a requirement for learning because the way that we look at elevators is that these are pieces of public transportation in your building, right? Mm -hmm. So we look at an elevator the same way that somebody else would look at a, a train or an automobile or a plane. You want to make sure that you get your uh, your maintenance done in a timely fashion. And as per the manufacturer's requirements, you want to get your testing and your inspections done. I mean, you wouldn't get on a, a train if you knew that the brakes hadn't been tested in 10 years. So that's what that's how the, that's the level of seriousness that we treat our job when it comes to transporting people throughout a building. Based on some of your LinkedIn comment content I, it seems like a lot of companies don't look at it the same way it's really uh, out in it, again that that depends on the state regulating authority so i was just talking to a guy who has an elevator company in maine he says that the maine authorities are very strict they send out the uh the um, elevator inspectors on a regular basis new york city which is only 50 miles to the west of us has a, a stringent authority uh oversight authority but here on long island it's like the freaking wild west so there's no uh, authority here that's going around and ensuring that the inspections are being done as per the code book that's adopted by New York State. There's nobody counting how many elevators there are. Like the, nobody can tell you with any certainty how many elevators, wheelchair lifts or anything there even is on Long Island because nobody is counting it. 
it's a it's a really weird situation to be in. So we always defer to doing things the right way. That's why we kick up to um, the state code and then we try to um, differentiate ourselves from our competition by showing them that, listen, just because there is no oversight does not abdicate a, a level of responsibility because this is a piece of public transportation. You know, would you want your family riding on a uh, an airplane that wasn't being maintained as per the manufacturer's specifications? So as we kind of uh, fall into some of these buildings, because we'll get calls, um, the, the building owners and the property managers are usually very surprised by the state of the elevator that they're in, because you, let's be honest, how much, do you, how much do you actually see as the riding public of the elevator? You see the inside of the cabin, the buttons, the lights, and that's about it. But all of the stuff that's going on above, below, and inside the shaft, you have no idea. One of my customers uh, turned to me one day and he said, Chris, I treat the elevator co uh, contractor like I treat my dentist. I just open my mouth and I trust that he's doing the right thing. I have no idea what he's doing in there, <laughs> right? So that's basically what happens until they get to like a certain point where it's a bumpy relationship. You know, the elevator company isn't even really picking up the phone or not responding to some of the things. Then we show up and then we see this freaking disaster, this dumpster fire that's been going on for the last five, 10, 15 years. And when we're able to uh, illustrate that and just uh, really all it takes is just a couple of pictures, um, the, the property managers and the building owners, are they're, they're usually pretty upset. Well, I like what you mentioned there about quality because um, I maintain my electrical license still. So I have to do my CEUs every year as well. And every time I do a code update class, we always talk about the theme that the code's a minimum requirement. It doesn't even tell you how to do it the right way and the best way. It just right. says this is the minimum you have to meet. Anybody that just does it per code, they're not a real tradesman. Anybody that goes above and beyond, that knows the best way to do it, most efficiently make money, that's a tradesman. And and the other problem is, is that unless you're in the trade, it is really hard to read that code book, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. it would be it would be immensely difficult for me to be able to read your code book and understand which applications apply in this situation, but don't apply in that situation. Exactly. So a lot of what we end up having to do when we're talking to the customers about the fact that their current elevator company is completely, you know, uh, abandoned them as far as being the responsible party for their, for their piece of equipment uh, is we've got to do a lot of time on education and, can you imagine trying to educate the layperson on certain aspects of the electrical code? It's difficult. So that's where uh, some of the, the marketing um, skills that I've learned over the last couple of years, I'm now able to apply them in order to more effectively communicate with the layperson so that they understand that we're not making these requirements up. They're located here, but this is how you read the code book. Yeah. Well, what and, about you, and Matt? Yeah, Matt, you're up. I don't read code books. No, I really. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't hang out really in the electrical or the elevator code books. But I spend a lot of times in like building, like IBC, the International Building Code, and it's the same thing. Right. It's like even if you read it, like two people interpret it completely different, and then you got to go explain that to your client who is a layman that doesn't really understand it. And a lot of times you'll make a mistake if you don't read all the exceptions. Right. It's like a lot yep. of times the code is really in the exception part, and so it just finding people that you trust that knows how to read the document, especially if there's not, I mean, there's not really, I, I guess, you know, the code officials for whenever you're you know, applying for permit and that sort of stuff, they should check all your codes, but a lot of times stuff gets slipped through the cracks. Um, and you know, especially for like Excel accessibility things, 
like the accessibility code is it, it's so hard to understand like architects will argue over what it means right and they do it all day every day and, and i know in texas yes. you can like and people do it i did it on our last project we had a question like this. and most architects are complete idiots <laughs> so i think that that should be said also <laughs> but they, they they walk around like they know everything about building construction i had this i you know and i'm not saying that all architects are idiots so we had this one dope out out east of long island and we're installing an elevator and we're telling him exactly what needs to be done with the doors no no the doors can't do this we got to do that no 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 and then and, and you can tell when they're like like a real jerk because they as soon as you try to tell you try to share some of your industry experience they start reading you their resume <laughs> oh well i built this building here and we did this then then there and blah 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 blah, blah. and then it just turned the job turned into a mess i can't even describe it it was crazy and then the other problem is that, you know, Kyle is a, uh, a you know, I don't know Kyle from uh, from Adam, but he's definitely a, a trusted source for the electrical code in his jurisdiction, right? Matt is a trusted source for the building code in his jurisdiction, me for the elevators in my jurisdiction. So when you try to, um, oh, excuse me, when you try to explain to these people um, what's going on here, it, they just don't get it. So it's, it, it's, it makes for a very difficult conversation. No, it does. I know I got kind of lost there. No, 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 it, it does. <laughs> but also Matt said something really good too that I want to highlight, which is the part about how do you read the code? Because in, in, in my update classes, what I really enjoy about them, and, and that sounds really strange to say, but I do enjoy the update classes because the instructors that I go to are always really good. And they talk, mm -hmm. about two, they talk about two things, not just the content, what's in the pages, but the intent behind the content. It's, yes. You can't just read it word for word. Those words are written in the way they are in the section for a reason, mm -hmm. because all of it mm -hmm. blends together to create the full picture. It's not just about the code says this. It's about why does it say that? And how do you actually interpret that correctly? And that, that brings me back. That's where I got kind of lost there. I, it, the worst kept secret in the construction industry for everybody in case they want to know is that half of the time the inspectors don't know what the hell they're looking at right <laughs> because they're not going to the elevator ceus plus the building code ceus plus the electrical ceus so they come in and when they see something that's a little bit wonky they either fake it or they call kyle over and ask him to explain it so most of what we're doing is teaching the people that are actually inspecting us so it's really important if you're a general contractor and if there's anybody I hate more than architects, it's general contractors <laughs> uh, to make sure that you have good, reliable subs. And and um, oh, and if you have the time, why don't you pay them? That would be awesome. Thank you. Just, you can just make the check out to cash. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I'm talking about as far as the inspectors, right, Kyle? Because they can't be at the same level as me, you and Matt when it comes to actually walking through and verifying if stuff is done. Well, Chris, I've, I, have been, I have been in heated discussions with inspectors before that were inspecting my work and didn't want to pass it. And let's just say I hardly ever win those because at, at the end of the day, they're the AHJ. But I still know yes. that I was right on most of them. Proud to interpret yeah. that code. And then, and then what happens is that you're so mental that you go back to your code book because you're like, oh, dude, this get this guy is gaslighting me. I know that this is not a code. <laughs> then you dig it out. Then you send it to the guy. He's not reading that email. He doesn't care about any of this stuff. He's moved on ten times. He's he's inspected twelve other buildings before he even got that stupid email. 
Yeah. So and then just, you got to make your most compelling argument on the job site in order for them to be able to convert and sign off on your work. After that, you got to redo it. Yeah. Damn, I had a project in Austin and the guy showed up like he worked for the FBI. He had his badge like displayed around his neck like that. And he parked on the job site. It was downtown Austin. There was no parking on the job site. And the GC is yelling at me like, you got to get him off here. Well, I've been waiting for him to show up for like four days. You know, he never showed up. And so they're yelling at me and I'm like, just we're going to run. And we ran up to like, I forget where it was, like the 13th floor or something like that. Looked at it and he ran back downstairs. And I was like, he's like, I can leave if you want me to leave. And I was like, man, I've been waiting on you. You've been holding everything up getting here. So being able to manage the inspectors is a skill <laughs> that any tradesman or any. It's like, it's like an attorney has to manage the personality of a judge. If you want yeah. things to go in your direction, then you've got to make sure that you have a, a, a balance of knowledge and deference in order to be able to bring them over to your side. I mean, you wanna hear something else on, on Long Island, when they're, uh, when they're doing acceptance inspections, when some of the authorities do acceptance inspections, the, uh, in some of these areas, they don't even send an, a knowledgeable elevator person to inspect the elevator. It's like the fire marshal or some dude who took a CEU and he shows up and he doesn't know anything about anything with the elevator so you're basically just telling them oh would you like me to do this this and this oh yeah yeah, yeah that's fine uh, is there anything else i should know yeah, yeah yeah we'll we'll show you this and then and then we'll rock on so it's 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 a little bit it's not good it can be done better it, it can definitely be better so we'll switch the gear for just a second so <clears throat> island elevator y'all call yourselves a people first company and I actually reached out to you when I was going through the leadership development program. Um, we were doing some stuff. Yeah, that, that turned out to be a really good program. It, it, it really, I learned a lot. I don't know if I'm applying it. I'm trying. But anyway, <laughs> I reached out to you because I wanted to, this was like right before we started that thing with Jesse. And um, yes. on a Saturday afternoon, you gave me like your whole afternoon. And then I appreciated that. I don't know. It wasn't a. I spent a lot of time with you. I don't know if I learned anything, but um... no, I, I guarantee it. And and I'll be honest with you. The reason why we were talking all afternoon is because nobody else will talk to me, and I need to talk to people. So, you know, my wife was home. We, that conversation would have been like ten minutes long. But I, I was so happy when Matt was like, "Hey, you want to talk?" And I was like, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> so. I reached out to you because I was like, "What does People First Company mean to you?" And I guess, "How do you embody that?" And so. You spent all afternoon telling me that story. So we don't have, we got about 10 minutes. Keep it short. Fine. <laughs> I'll give you the two minute version. Uh, I'll give you the elevator pitch on people first. People first is, be, is based on the principle that we make all decisions inside the organization with the interests of the people first. So if, we're, if we've got to make a decision between making money and working safely, then guess what? It's the people first. If we've got to make a decision for uh, that, that may negatively impact the customer or it may negatively impact us and we can uh, objectively identify that we are responsible for solving this problem, then we will do the right thing. So as long as we're continuing to elevate um, the value of the people and as we uh, think of them and use them to inform our decisions, we can confidently and proudly say that we're a people first organization. So there you go. Now I got nine more minutes. We can talk about weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of weird questions. Go Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> 
What, what's the name of your company, Kyle? And what, what do you guys stand for? What's your culture? My, so my company is Dell Management. And we, I, just like Matt, we do uh, owner's representative services. So we're construction managers, um, but CMS agents. So we're not at risk and we're not GCs. Um, the big thing about my company is we work a lot with manufacturers. And honestly, yeah, what do you stand for? But, what do you stand well, for? What, 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 what's the one thing, what, what, what is the philosophy that when I engage with your company, I know that it would be anathema to you for you to step on uh, to do that the wrong way, right? Like if, when, when we hire you, when we work with you, what is, what is the culture? What does it say about you before you enter the room? How do we know what you're going to be like before you even walk to the table? Yeah, we bring, we bring innovation. Innovation is our big thing because a lot of these, especially the manufacturers we work with, they haven't seen it. They're used to working with the 30-year 30, 30 GCs that they came from the trades, they worked their way up. They're kind of stuck in their old school ways. Well, we're bringing the, the dinosaurs. new school ways. That's right. We're bringing the new school ways. We're showing that the way things are done now in 2023 is the better way to do it. Are you using any AI to power any of these innovations? No, we're not to that point yet because we're, we're we're a few years behind the curve still, but we're light years ahead of the other ones. Yeah. Is there AI in your industry right now? No, not really. No. I mean, that manufacturing, we are way behind. Okay. Yeah. yeah so in the elevator industry, we have uh, artificial intelligence that's already been at work inside the elevator industry for probably, I would say, maybe the last five years or so. Uh, a couple of the big multinational elevator companies have deployed this. Uh, to be able to identify issues on these elevators before the building sees them or mm -hmm. to be uh, predictive in which items may or may not be uh, working or breaking down or coming down to the end of their life. Yeah. So that's only, that's like the tip of the iceberg. That's probably the stuff that I know about. The stuff that I don't know about is what's like, wow, what, you know, what kind of analytics can we involve in order to be able to identify um, you know, maybe better uh, fits into our culture or uh, to be able to read and summarize contracts or, you know, like that's the stuff that AI gets me like kind of excited about because they're like huge time savers. And then the stuff that AI doesn't get me excited about is the fact that it's the end of the human race and we're all going to be like eating porridge, you know, in some version of, 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 uh, of the matrix um, while the robots are hunting us down, trying to murder us. Well, and let me just clarify too, in the, in manufacturing on the owner side, they're very much in tune with AI and technology on the construction that right? side. That's where, that's where things are behind. I mean, hmm. even, even lean construction, which has been around for over 20 years is like new to the manufacturing construction industry from what I've been seeing. It's new to the construction industry. I mean, in, 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 as a whole, Adoption. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. And where, where do you see it playing a role in your industry, Kyle? We're already using it, man. We bring success with it because we actually track and we bring visualization and visual management. And our clients can actually see the progress every day for what's going on. Where are we actually at and what's mm. in our way to get done? Nice. What about you, Matt? Do you see that being able to help you out at all? The lean stuff? You're, um, you're pretty techy. I, yeah, I like to, I, I've gotten down some rabbit holes in uh, construction technology. Um there's stuff like Disperse. They they've got a program where they'll send people out and do 360 imaging of your of your job site, and they'll come out and take photos oh. like once a week or however often you want them. But usually about once a week duration is pretty good. Um, they'll come out and they were sending people cameras out to the job sites and finding out the general contractors and people weren't taking the photos. They said, "Fine, we'll hire people and just send them out there too because 
we want you to use our stuff. So they'll send somebody out to your job site. You know, no matter how big it is, they'll walk the whole job site, take photos in every room. It gets sent back to their headquarters. And um, because they're still training the machine, it's a, it's a hybrid model between machine between the AI robots and the people. Um, so they have like mm-hmm. architects on staff behind the scenes. So they'll look at the pictures, identify where there's potential conflicts, issues, and those sort of stuff. Um, so it's kind of a quality control aspect. Um, you've got the, mm-hmm. the robots looking at it and the people looking at it. And then they also can like update your schedule and stuff. They have like this sort of scrum board, this, uh, and they'll say where all the work's happening on the job site and kind of um, be able to build your work plan for you based on the 360 photos. And so stuff like that, there's people and companies out there doing some stuff like that, but it's the adoption slow. Uh, Nascent, right? You, you keep using big words, man. I'm a construction manager. Oh, from it's early on in the, in the adoption cycle. Yes. Very, very early. You said something. I just like the fact that uh, I just like the fact that some egghead watched a YouTube video and he's like, "Oh, let's just send out a camera and we'll have Matt do it because he's not doing anything all day." You know, <laughs> I see him. Uh, you know, why, why don't you just take this and take a bunch of pictures all up and down the 13-story building? There was like zero percent chance that that was going to happen. Zero. Usually, you know, you know, you know, the uh, the project manager was going to take one look at that camera and be like, "Oh, they give it, fuck they that. Give it, this this thing's going out in the back in the convex well, they, next to the lumber." They give it to the intern, right? Say, intern, go take all these photos. And he does it the first day. The second day, he finds a quiet corner and takes a nap <laughs> yes exactly they, oh my god young people they they <laughs> you know you guys know <laughs> there's some good ones coming up though um we had a good intern this summer and he was- there better be because guess what they're going to be running the world in a couple of years so i you know i really i know that everybody uh it's like popular to shit on gen z um they do kind of make it a little easy sometimes but uh, in the end, I have to root for them because they are the ones that are going to be protecting our social security and cleaning up the environment and providing us a way forward and writing, you know, all of the um, uh, the, uh, the the laws that we're going to need in order to hopefully you know, survive this whole thing. I mean, who the hell knows? Well, none of us are going to make it out alive. So that's a fact. Nope, nobody makes it out of life alive. Thank God for that. <laughs> I heard a quote the other day, going back to what you said a minute ago about the, the all the robots hunting us down and killing us. And it was something about, it was somebody that was, I've been listening to a lot of AI podcasts and YouTube videos and that sort of stuff anyway. And he was like, he's some futuristic guy. And he's like, I see this thing happening one of two ways when it plays out to its basically end. He goes, either they, the robots make us their pets or we're their food. And either way, they don't want to just hunt us down and kill us. They need us. So you got that going mm. for us. <laughs> I listen, AI. If you're out there, I would make an awesome pet. Okay, so eat Matt and Kyle. Definitely keep me around. I, I will be worth your weight in gold. Trust me. <laughs> oh man, Chris, this is fun, man. Hey, if people want to get in yeah. touch with you and um, you know, make you a meme or find your memes, how can they find you? Uh, if you don't know how to find me, then you weren't meant to find me. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's Chris Gutkiss, G-U-T-K-E-S, and the S is for suck it. <laughs> oh, shit. I appreciate it. All right. You want to wrap it up? Yep. I think we're wrapped. All right. Take care, gentlemen. All right, fellas. Thanks, listeners.